Welcome to the Moms for Wellness podcast on SM Enlightenment Radio or TV. This is a podcast for moms who are passionate about being healthy and who are leading their kids to do the same. Welcome back, Mama. We are glad you are here at Moms for Wellness. I've got a question for you. Do your kids play sports? Are they active kids? Well, if so, you are going to love today's conversation. Today, our kids are so often going from one sports field to the next sports field to the next activity to the next one. So how do we keep them from getting injured and having their parts being overused and just so much activity going on? Well, my guest today is Jennifer Chirillo, and she is going to share with us the key things that you can do to help keep your child from being injured. Jennifer Torillo is a licensed and board certified athletic trainer, NSCA certified strength and conditioning specialist, functional range conditioning movement specialist, and 200 RYT yoga instructor. She is the owner of Concentric Care and Wellness located in Central Connecticut. So please help me welcome my guest today, Jen Torillo. Hi, Jenny. How are you? I'm good, Jen. How are you today? I am doing really well. I'm really excited um, that you've invited me to talk with you about something that I am super passionate about. Yay. I am so excited. And with all those certifications, you have such an amazing, well, actually, let's start with that. Let's start with your, because I think your background is really, really fascinating. I'm just start kind of with who you are, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of just, you know, what can we do to help our kids that are athletes from, you know, the overuse and the injuries and all the things, but tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this place to be able to tell us how to help our kids. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, As you mentioned, I'm an athletic trainer and that term athletic trainer um, can be a little bit of a tricky term because we hear that term athlete, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, But athletic trainers are multifaceted healthcare professionals. You can find us in athletic settings. You can find us working with the military, uh, performing artists in industrial settings. We are kind of like the jack of all trades when it comes to healthcare providers. And I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a healthcare provider. I knew I wanted to be a healer, a helper um, in some way, shape or form. And it took me getting injured myself as as an athlete um, to learn about athletic training and what it actually is. So that is what I uh, pursued in college and went right into the high school setting. And I have been working with adolescent athletes pretty much since the time I left college. And I really wouldn't have it any other way. Even though my my client population is brought in in my private practice, I, I thoroughly enjoy working with adolescent athletes. It's just really a joy. That's awesome. So you have been an athletic trainer for years um, in uh, at a school, right? And then also with specific mm-hmm. sports. So, and you've seen a wide range and then you've added some things. I thought it was interesting that you added some certifications like the yoga, like I mentioned in, in the beginning. Um, can you explain a little bit, or maybe you wanna get into that more when we talk about the specific things that we do, sure. um, but just why did you add some other certifications? Yeah, that's a great question. And 
I think in any profession, you know, you have a skill set that you leave your education with. Okay. And so in your first couple of years, you're really just trying to find yourself as a professional, utilize those skills, and then you learn, you know, what your passions are. And, and for me, the educational component was always really impactful, at least from, from, from my vantage point, you know, seeing the aha moments when I would work with a high school kid, you know, an athlete that, you know, I might be their first exposure to athletic training and sports medicine. And I have like this really special opportunity to educate them about their body, why things hurt, what is an injury, what's not an injury, how to take care of their bodies, even just basic anatomy, um, teaching them about nutrition and how to fuel their bodies. So in a lot of cases, athletic trainers and myself working with high school athletes, um, you're that first line to introduce them to all these really key topics. And for those who want to continue playing sports through the years into college, and even as an adult to develop healthy habits, you know, athletic trainers at that level can be really, really impactful. And so over time, I, you know, got my feet wet and got really comfortable in, in that role because it really truly does change every day and you develop your your passions and for me uh one of my sincere passions even to this day is treating holistically looking at a person not as a shoulder injury or as an acl tear but as a human being who happens to have an ankle sprain an acl tear a concussion um so you're treating them you know mind body integratively and that experience i find has a lot more sticking power um, when when they're treated from that that thirty thousand foot view holistic um, and integrative manner yeah i love that so that is exactly why i want to have this conversation to have you on the podcast because i am excited so for those of you who are parents who are listening right now go grab your kid and listen, have them listen with you because this is gold for both of you. So that is perfect because I love that you have this different approach and the holistic approach. Mm -hmm. And so can you share some different ways that we can live, that our athletes can live, that our children can live and different things that they can do in their lifestyle that will help them to prevent injury? Yeah, I think one of the biggest thing is to get invested in their bodies. Okay, start to listen and take in information and the people that are in their environment, their coaches, their athletic trainers, uh, anyone that they might be working with, they are resources for them. And one of the biggest resources that I try to, um, to impart on families is the importance of setting a strong foundation. You can have the fanciest gear, the coolest uniforms, uh, the best mouth guard and the highest you know, caliber helmets, whatever that might be. But if you are not building a strong foundation, honestly, you can have all of the most wonderful tools in the world. But if your nutrition is not up to speed, the sleeping habits are really leaving a lot to be desired and we're not replenishing our bodies with water first, we're missing the mark big time. And it's it's a hard sticking point for a lot to hear because it's the uncool stuff, the yeah. stuff that doesn't get all the likes and the shares and you know, TikTok viralness, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> because it's the boring stuff. But 
but boring works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you'd like at some point, I'd love to get into a little bit about the importance of food, the importance of, you know, hydration with water first. Um, and of course, sleep, because that is absolutely paramount. Yes. Let's get into it because I was going to follow up each of those actually. So what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with the food piece? Let's first? do food first. Let's do okay. food first. Yeah. And one of the things that I have noticed over 18 years of working with athletes is kids are usually not eating enough. Mm. And that comes into uh, to play, particularly um, athletes who are playing multiple sports. So they might play for their high school soccer team, but it is, you know, off season basketball or spring football or something there's crossover. So the caloric intake is so, so important because if they're not fueling their bodies and getting the nutrients in, then your body's going to find it somewhere else. It will, you know, find it for muscles and break protein down to get glucose. We don't want that. We want our muscles to be strong. So one of the biggest conversations that I have quite regularly with athletes and their families is that you have to be fueling your body. Okay. Your the food is fuel, worry about your calories at this age. Then you can start to pick apart nutrient density, but you have to have the energy in order to do all of the things that your body needs to do to play sports. Yeah, I think that's really, is there, are there any specific indications that you know um, that you're not getting enough calories? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And it really, it really is contingent on the athlete who's in front of me. Sure. Um, sure. One of the telltale um, signs and symptoms of chronic shin splints or having issues with um, chronic pain in the body, knees, and and they're having injuries that keep happening. And there's really no apparent explanation. The first question that I would be asking, uh, particularly in a female athlete, is caloric intake. Um, Mm -hmm. If there is a deficiency there, um, then you start to look at vitamins and minerals. Are they not getting enough? Um, and then you start to talk about sleep and recovery. That would be the next okay. indicator. But overuse injuries, um, stress fractures, and shin splints, um, those will do it. And if you're not mm-hmm. getting enough calories, the the reaction time, focus, and concentration are going to be impacted. And the same thing with hydration. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very good. So then let's talk about hydration, unless there was more with the nutrition that you wanted to add. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about hydration. What is ideal? Does it, is it obviously it's probably dependent on how hot it is and how much you are, how active you are, but give us some basic yeah, guidelines. Absolutely. And a lot of it goes by your sweat volume. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're talking about preseason going from our summer into the fall, depending on where you're located, but here in the Northeast, one way is to do weigh-ins before And then after your sessions, you weigh out and you can Hmm. actually do a little bit of math um, to find out what the sweat loss is. Um, So hydration, always starting with water first before we run and get the fancy sports drinks. Um, I have young kids and I always, you know, get a little kick of, you know, these little peanuts and they're all got their big, you know, sports drinks for their practices. You don't need those. (laughs) You don't need them quite yet. Um, so water first, if you get bored of water, throw some fruit in it. 
put something in there to make it taste good. Um, but always water first. If you've got a very salty sweat, then you start to consider, you know, your electrolytes and replacing those. And there are lots of products that you could look towards, but even just simple salt, putting a little bit of salt um, in the water um, can also be impactful. Interesting. But I'm so, always, yeah, go ahead. So you said salty sweat. How do you know? Like, you are can you taste it. licking yourself? Okay. You can oh, taste okay. It. If you've okay. ever been outside and maybe you go for a run or you're chasing your kids and, you know, you get a little bit of sweat that drips down the lip and you can actually taste yeah. if it's sweaty. And it's a very odd question as an athletic trainer, but I will ask, you know, are you, are you a salty sweater? And they're like, oh, yeah. Or you might get kids who just sweat profusely, but it's just water um, and they need to replenish it. And, and the reason why I talk about hydration is uh, staying away from, from supplements and the pre-workouts and all of the other things on the market that are marketed towards um, adolescent and teen athletes. There's so much stuff that changes on the day-to-day -day and it's not regulated. So if mm. you go pick up a, a pre-workout or some sort of energy drink, um, mm -hmm. the science tells us that they, they are really not something that anyone should be using, but athletes in particular, um, they really should be um, the last thing kind of on your grocery list to buy. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because it is heavily marketed to mm -hmm. athletes. And and so then, you know, kids are athletes and they look at that and they're like, well, I want that too. That's the cool thing to have. It's yeah. the thing to have. So why not? Yeah. So it it's hard because they, again, are not regulated because they fall into the supplement industry. And supplements are not regulated by the FDA, which means that they don't need to disclose everything on the label. And, you know, the label in and of itself will have the ingredients, but then they sometimes will have something called a proprietary blend and a proprietary blend can be anything. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what that is. And in other cases, some of the ingredients are added to a very high degree. So we might see super high levels of B vitamins or, or way too much caffeine. Um, which has dehydration properties. So it's things to consider, you know, when you buy these things that look great, you know, on you know commercials or we see friends with them, you gotta educate your kids that if you are truly invested in being an athlete, you need to take care of your body. And is that gonna serve you in the long run? Chances are it's not. Yeah, now, you mentioned caffeine. So that just makes me think um, it's kind of like the in thing, especially for like, teens, you know, older kids um, to drink coffee. Now I feel like that's a bigger thing nowadays. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen that in your um, athletes that you've worked with. So what's the guidelines there? Cause you just said it's dehydrating. Yeah. We just need to be mindful um, about caffeine intake in general. I don't have the specs right off the top of my head in terms of how much to consume. Um, but we just want to be mindful about when we're consuming and making sure that we're balancing it out with water. Do you want to have coffee before you go to a meet? No, because chances are you're going to have to pee midway through that meet. Um, so you really, if, if coffee is in your diet and your family is okay with that consumption, let's just be mindful that it's not around the time of participation. There is some studies out about caffeine and its influence on sport that it can be beneficial. But, you know, again, that's something that you want to talk with your pediatrician, talk with a registered dietitian about what is okay, what is safe.
sounds good. And how about sleep? Because I know, especially for our high school athletes, that's hard to come by because they are active and schoolwork and just everything. So <laughs> what's the deal with sleep? <laughs> yeah, sleep is imperative. Um, I, I can't come up with a stronger word than imperative um, because that is when our body rebuilds and we put it through the ringer throughout the day. And as adolescent athletes, they bounce back pretty quick. But when you get to your 30s and your 40s and older, you don't bounce back as quick. And so, yeah, that should be me right now. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Speaking about sleep and recovery, that is when the magic happens. And so if they understand that that's when the magic happens, you know, your athletes are concerned about building muscle and they want to get stronger. They want to be faster, more explosive in, in their training, then they have to sleep. They have to do it because we break down all the muscle fibers when we strength train, when we sprint, do sprint work and jumping, we break down muscle fibers, which is normal, but we need to build them back up. And that's yeah. how they get bigger and stronger. And it happens when we sleep. Yeah. So listen to your mom's kids. Listen, <laughs> go to sleep, get that rest. So talk to me about dynamic stretching um, because I feel like, um, so we're going to get into, in the second segment, we're going to get into specific sports and specific things to do. But in general, um, dynamic stretching, the warm-ups before games, like what, how can that help to prevent injury? Yeah, it's just preparing the body for the work. And what the dynamic workout or dynamic exercise to warm up should do is elevate the heart rate, get a little bit of sweat going, prepare the body for the work that they're about to do. And again, kids are super resilient. So for many cases, they can just jump on the field or jump in the pool or on the ice and they're gonna be okay. But as they get into high school and certainly into college and young adulthood, their bodies are gonna be a little less ready to go. And so it starts a really good habit. Um, it also gets the body working in multiple planes of motion. So we wanna mimic what we're going to do okay so for a baseball player or you know maybe a soccer player we want to make sure that we're moving the body parts in the manner that they're about to um to do in whatever that sport is um and then also moving through multiple planes of motion to help decrease overuse in particular joints so the warm-ups before games look a lot different nowadays than they did when you and i played absolutely sports, right? <laughs> they sparkle up and everybody counts again Yes. Um, yes, it's so much better now. We still have some work to do with our younger, you know, yeah. little people, but that's okay. They're just learning and getting good habits. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely come leaps and bounds. Um, our static stretching has a place, um, and that's at the end. So a lot more teams are taking advantage of the cool down portion, which is almost as yes. important, if not more then that dynamic warm up, it gets the body to come back to kind of homeostasis, bring the heart rate down, make sure all of our muscles that we've moved um, are, you know, bringing back to the resting state. So it, they all have their purpose. And as we get more advanced in our athletic career, they become even more pivotal um, in our success. Awesome. And talk to me about rice. How does that help prevent injury? Oh, rice. Rice is something that, again, you and I grew up on. Yes. I learned as an athletic training yes. student. And rice 
was developed in the 70s and rice as a review is rest ice compress and elevate and i used it for probably two-thirds of my career and any any really good devoted healthcare professional needs to stay invested in the literature and and make sure that what they're suggesting for their patients is is the best practice and this one's going to die hard I, I know it is um but rice is is outdated um hmm. rice is again the resting the icing those are the two pieces that we need to make some modifications needing to understand and ask questions why why are we doing these things are we doing them because that's what we're told to do or is or is it because we have an understanding of what they do okay hmm. rest if you have an injury rest to an extent okay so in that first acute 24 to 48 hours sometimes yeah things hurt a whole lot and it makes sense that i have an ankle that's really angry and i want to elevate it and i want to sit on the couch and it really hurts okay i 100 percent support that but once you get through that acute phase even like you know 24 hours post injury we want to introduce some really safe gentle movement even if it's not that ankle if we use it for the an example Maybe it's the knee or the toes or other parts of the body. So we want to move away from complete bed rest when we have an injury. I can't do anything. I need to stay put. Okay. So we can move the body, but we need to just be mindful about our pain points at the time. In terms of ice, I am very, um, very slow to use ice these days unless something yeah. hurts. Yeah, ice can be really good in terms of pain relief. Okay. But that's really it. And we know through science that ice is going to actually slow blood flow, which is why we thought we wanted to do it. Yeah. But we need blood flow because it has white blood cells. And the white blood oh. cells have all of the clean up little Pac-Mans that mm -hmm. are going to start to clean out the junk from the injury. So if we stop that process, that natural inflammation process, we stop it, then we prolong it. So we need hmm. to let it happen, make some little modifications, gently move the space to make sure our lymphatic system does its job. But again, the ice is good if something really hurts. I will still give my kids ice if, it, if something hurts. So I don't want anyone to think, oh gosh, I've been doing it wrong all these years. No, no, no. We're doing the best that we can with the knowledge that we have. So if something hurts and you feel like ice would feel good, that's okay. It's all good. But I don't, I don't recommend sitting it in an ice bucket, you know, for 20 minutes or, <laughs> you know, our shoulder every time we're throwing, if we're a pitcher, we pack mm -hmm. it in ice after every practice or game. We don't need to do that. The, the science yeah. just doesn't support it. Interesting. Yeah. So does that include, like, so you say the ice bath. So why is it that, um, like you see the college and professional athletes will have the ice bath. Is that because they're in pain, like right after the game type thing or? No, not usually. Um, it's a culture shift. Um, okay. And that is another one as an athletic trainer, we try to use best practice. Um, sometimes the sport has its own set of routine and particularly in running sports, football, they love the ice bath. They really love it. And so again, the question is why? Um, yeah. 
there is a lot of conflicting literature. You see it for both sides saying it helps with recovery. And then others were like, it does nothing for recovery. Um, I, I'm not an ice bath for recovery um, athletic trainer. Um, I think it just comes down to having a conversation with your coaches and with your athletes. If it's not resulting in injury and it is feeding their habits and they feel confident in their routines, I'm not necessarily going to stop it, but I wouldn't necessarily say you need to do an ice bath after every run. Interesting. I, I wouldn't do that. So, you know, if, if it's not injurious and it's, it's a part of their routine, go ahead and do it. Um, Okay. Interesting. Okay. So I want to come back. We need to take a quick break, but I want to finish. I want to finish with that and then finish with the CE of rice. Um, and then we're going to go into the second section. We are going to go into specific sports, the lower body intensive, upper body intensive and full body equipment sports, and specifically what we can do for those sports to help prevent injury. So thank you for joining us everyone and stay with us as we continue this conversation with Jen Torillo on how to prevent sports injuries on Moms for Wellness. Welcome back to Moms for Wellness on WSME Enlightenment. Um, we are talking with Jen Trillo and we are talking about how to prevent sports injuries in our teen athletes. And so um, Jen just dropped a bomb on us in the end of the last segment. We're talking about RICE, R-I-C-E, and that is what uh, most of us probably grew up with. That's what we've always known uh, for injuries. And um, so if you missed that, go back and listen to it. We're just talking about how the R and the I, the rest and the icing are a little bit different now. The science has changed and, and what we do um, has changed. So let's continue with the C and the E. Yeah, I'd love to. So the C is for compression and E is for elevate. And those have some value and they have new acronyms now like peace and love. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> you still see some of the compression and the elevate. Um, and that is really to encourage our own natural healing properties in our body, which is the lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system, at least for me in school, didn't really get much love at all. And what it is, it's the garbage disposal for our body. And unfortunately, it's very passive in nature. And that's why we encourage things like elevation so that we can get that gradient that our body can move swelling um, any sort of junk from injuries that we can move it into the lymphatic system so that it could get rid of it. So in terms of compression, we just need to be mindful um, about that. Um, if we choke off a space, again, we're cutting off circulation, which has nutrients and oxygen and blood flow, which is actually really important for healing. So again, there is there is some space for compression and there is value in elevation. It's just finding the right kind of cocktail to put those mm. all together. And that's where, you know, your athletic trainer would come in to help guide that yeah. type of home care. 
I was just going to say, we need someone like you in our back pocket to be like, okay, so what do we yes. do in this situation? So, but that's good to know to just to give pause to what we've always done. And so, and especially that differential between us as parents and then what our kids are probably hearing from their athletic trainers and, and um, other people that know, and they're just like, well, not so much. And we're like, well, we did that when we were kids. So I think that's a really good heads up that things are changing and it's good to be aware of that. So thank good you. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, okay, let's get into specific sports. Our kids play a lot of different sports. So we're going to break this up into three different categories. One is the lower body intensive sports. We're talking about things like women's lacrosse, soccer, and basketball. And then we'll move on to upper body intensive sports. We're talking about things like baseball, softball, and volleyball. And then we'll go on to full body equipment sports, things like football, ice hockey, and men's lacrosse. So let's start with the first one. So for lower body intensive sports, like the women's lacrosse, soccer, basketball, what are some tips that you have for our teen athletes that are playing these sports and things that they can do to help prevent injuries? Yeah, it's a great question. So when I think about these kinds of athletes, I'm thinking about agile, I'm thinking about athleticism, I'm thinking about a lot of running. And so one of the biggest tips that I would suggest is just making sure that we're going back to the foundation. We're getting sleep for recovery because those are big muscles in their legs, which means they are burning a lot of calories um, for, for the work that they're doing. So that recovery for our lower, um, lower body intensive sports, uh, recovery for rest and also caloric intake, just making sure that they're getting enough fuel. Um, one of the things to consider, consider, excuse me, with lower lower body intensive exercise is cutting. Okay, we see a lot of injuries from a cutting mechanism, and so we hear about the dreaded ACL and non-contact ACL, which is actually yes. really, really prevalent. It's hmm. not the I collide with someone and that's how I tear my ACL. It's a I'm running down the field. I might plant my foot and twist, there's nobody in sight and down you go. But what do you do about things like that? There's nobody around you. So it comes down to body control and that's something we call proprioception. Proprioception is knowing where your body is in space. Okay, so our lower, lower body uh, sports, when we think about cutting injuries, ACLs, ankles, it is having control over your body. A lot of these athletes are really skilled. They're great at what they do. They're great at their sport, but controlling their body, particularly in adolescence, where we're seeing growth development, you know, physically, just not being able to actually control where your body is. And that comes down to sometimes weight room work, being in a strength training program to work on landing mechanics. If I were to jump, can I land without caving my legs in? Can I change direction and control where my torso is in space? So some of that is taking the equipment, taking the soccer ball out of the equation, taking the lacrosse stick out of the equation and just learning how to manipulate your body, okay? There is just motor development skills that are really important um, that sometimes we skip to because we're so excited about the sport and the skill and being really good at, you know, corner kicks and, and yeah. the blank that sometimes we're missing the actual development, the physical development. So if I could put a plug in for strength training for adolescent athletes, like this would be it and strength training with a qualified professional. 
that's that's yeah. the big like aha um, so can I ask, um, especially with this, I think it kind of changes my question a little bit, but I feel like that's been a question for a long time was like, when do you start? How young is too young? And it probably depends on if you're with a qualified professional, exactly what you're doing. Um, yeah. but, but what would you suggest? So strength training is not necessarily getting dumbbells and barbells. Strength training can be body weight too. And that can start young and it should be fun. It should be games. It should be balance. And it, it, so you can start strength training in middle school and elementary school. It, it just would look different than it would for an 18 year old or even a 16 year old. So there is value to doing those motor development type strength training drills, but the weight might just different yeah yeah makes sense mm -hmm. awesome um did you have more with the i since i interrupted with the questions so no no that was body. the biggest that was the big okay. thing there was Great. learning body control yeah yeah that's and that makes total sense thinking about those sports mm -hmm. um that is really really good advice um awesome so let's go on to the upper body intensive okay. sports so we're thinking of like baseball softball volleyball what do you have for us with this one? Okay, great. So this is learning how to transfer momentum. So when we're in an upper body sport, we're thinking about throwers. We're talking about maybe volleyball players or tennis players. And we're using all these little muscles in your shoulder, in your elbows, in your wrist and forearm. And the shoulder in particular, the way it is by design is that it is built for range of motion and mobility but it lacks stability, okay? Whereas our lower body, we have lots of strength. Our hip joint is rock solid, okay? But when we move upstairs, these joints are really supported by these little tiny muscles. And so we have to be really um, um, mindful about how to transfer momentum from the body, from the trunk and transferring it out the body. Okay, so that comes from really good coaching. Um, just making sure that whoever's coaching your child has background, they understand where they are in their phase of physical development, um, that they're getting really good coaching technique, that they're getting proper rest, um, and that you know they have an arm care routine. So that's gonna be a little different than some of our lower body, um, our sports, but an arm care routine. So if you have a pitcher, Obviously, there's going to be pitch counts that coaches should be observing, but there should be some sort of routine that, you know, if I'm an eighth grader and I'm a pitcher that, okay, what do I do after I throw? The first thing is don't pack it in ice. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't need we to learn that <laughs> bags on the shoulders, on the elbows, you know, like the 19, you know, 90s MLB pitchers. We don't yes. need to do that. They don't do it in professional sports, okay? Mm -hmm. So getting a, an arm care routine that's appropriate for the age, the level of participation, and it might be some band exercises, it might be some stabilization exercises. It's really gonna vary um, because it depends on that human being that's in front of you. There's really no cookie cutter approach, but I can tell you that that arm care is not gonna involve icing it as a prophylactic measure. 
Interesting. And do you have some other things? Like, I'm just kind of curious, like I was gonna ask you, so you mentioned a couple of things. Are there other things that that, what would that entail? And is that something that they would do like when they go home or they would do yeah. it before they leave the field? What does that yeah. mean? So it's setting yourself up for success. And so you're gonna only pick like maybe one or two things when you're a younger athlete, maybe middle school going into freshman year. And then as you get into high school and college, it's gonna become more robust. So things I would suggest would be corrective exercise, moving out of the plane of motion that you typically work, making sure that you're moving in all planes of motion. So the way that our body moves is multiplanar. So we can move front to back, which is what most of us do in our day to day. You can move side to side, and then you can also move in a rotational plane of motion. So in order to reduce injuries, we want to make sure that our body is getting through all those ranges of motion. And so if you're always throwing, we need to do something else. Mm -hmm. So for upper body, I always look to the thoracic spine, which is the mid back. It's that section between your neck and right at the base of your ribs, making sure that we have really good mobility in our thoracic spine. Another thing that I look for in our throwing athletes is your hip mobility. Okay. Not related, right? They're totally yeah. body. But as I teach everybody that I come into contact with, everything is connected. Everything mm -hmm. is connected. So if there's something that's sticky in some part of your body, that maybe it's lacking mobility um, or stability, it's going to influence something else in that kinetic chain. So just know that if you're a throwing athlete, it doesn't mean to neglect the lower half of your body. If anything, your hips are as important as your shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. When mm -hmm. I just think about that, like, you know, talking about a pitcher, we're talking about baseball, softball, just even mm -hmm. the, the body motion is a very full body thing. Like you are, you are turning those hips. So all of that, that makes total sense that you'd want to keep that mobility. Awesome. Is there anything else um, with the upper body intensive sports? That I think we that's missed a great place. It's a great place to start. Yeah. Perfect. All right. That's awesome. Thank you. And then the last grouping of sports is the full body equipment. So football, ice hockey, men's lacrosse, I'm sure there's more. <laughs> and, yeah. but those are the kind of sports. So what do we do for those sports? Sure. So when we talk about a full body intensive equipment, intensive sport, those are the sports where they're going to be geared up. So we think about football. It's usually the first that comes to mind. Um, then we might think about things like hockey, uh, lacrosse where they are full pads thinking about field hockey goalies that's another um athlete who is geared up pretty much head to toe even catchers they're in full you know full gear head to toe and sometimes that gear gives us a kind of a false sense of security um where okay i'm gonna throw a helmet on and that means that you know i could be a bull in a china shop um just know that what helmets function to do is maybe not what we think it is. We sometimes think helmets concussion, you know, obviously that's why they wear them. Actually our, our, our uh, helmets are for skull fractures. They don't provide concussions. And that makes sense. Cause your brain yeah. is still moving in there. <laughs> Absolutely. So that yeah. is a conversation that, you know, as athletic trainers and even, you know, sports medicine, Physicians are having constant conversations that you don't need to have the $500 most expensive on the market helmet. It obviously needs to have a really good testing rating. It needs to be certified by Noxie and checked and recertified as appropriate. 
but that's not going to stop a concussion and nor will a mouth guard. Okay. They're important. They protect your teeth. They protect your skull, obviously in your brain. Um, but we just need to understand that our equipment, what they serve to do, and they are to protect certain areas in the body. Um, proper instruction is the biggest, um, injury prevention strategy that I could suggest. Okay. It, it is kind of repetitive with some of our other sports, but you need to have the right adults in front of a group of kids, because this is when you're laying the foundation, just like I preach that the foundation is, you know, nutrition, hydration, and sleep. The same thing for sports. We're laying the foundation with proper skill instruction, because as they progress through athletics, they're going to rely on those basic foundational skills. And if they are not supportive to injury prevention, that we're coming in with bad habits and that can put us at risk for injuries. So how would a parent know? So if instruction is so important and it if is. I'm a parent that I've never played football, my kid has never played football and mm -hmm. putting them in peewee football, how do I know that the instructors, the coaches are doing a good job? That's a great question. And we need to ask more questions as parents. Um, once we get into organized sports, particularly high school level and above, there are levels of coaching that they must uh, complete in order to be a coach. So just know that as you get up the chain, um, there are requirements. Um, but parents should ask questions about what kinds of training did they go through? Um, there are certain safe sport trainings. There are, you know, USA football, USA hockey. There are different organizations that will dictate um, coaching certifications. But, you know, as we get the little guys, you know, they're not going to be hitting and they don't start hitting in football until depending where you are, third, fourth, fifth grade and higher. And then with hockey, they don't start hitting until a certain point. All I think it's 10 or 12. And then with soccer, they don't start heading until somewhere like 10, 11 or 12. So they've actually put, you know, some restrictions in terms sure. of reducing yes. head contact. Right. So ask questions. And then the only other thing is, you know, CPR and first aid. Anyone who is running a program really should be certified and kept up with their CPR and first aid certification. And obviously having athletic trainers, shameless plug, but I'm always yes. going to put it out there, especially in high school where the contact level gets higher. Ask questions. There should be a full-time athletic trainer there um, to take you know, all of that liability and have someone who is trained to handle those kinds of situations. Yeah, amazing. So I have a question. So thank you. That is so great. So if you have a child that is, you know, playing any of those sports, pay attention to those, check those things out and make sure that you are doing what you can to help minimize or prevent um, injuries for your children. Um, and I want, I have, well, I shouldn't say one more question because you never know, but um, <laughs> yoga, I'm curious about yoga. Cause I know when we were talking before, like you um, have incorporated this into working with your athletes and the teams yes. that you have worked with and didn't originally have that as part of your tool belt. And now you do. And so I'm curious about that. If you can just share a little bit about why yoga is helpful and how you have seen it helpful in the athletes that you work with. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked because yoga, especially at this point in my career and in my private practice, um, has become really a staple. And we hear yoga, we think, you know, yoga pants and crazy pretzel shapes <laughs> and, 
you know, these beautiful poses on Instagram. But if you really, really dig into what yoga is all about, it is really about, you know, being present, being in your body and being mindful. And there's really no substitute for that, especially with the adolescent athlete. Again, we've talked about how it really is my passion to work with that age demographic because they've got stressors coming in from multiple different angles school, sports, social, they've got developmental stuff going on. Mental health obviously plays a huge role. There's a lot of stress going on in that adolescent athlete's life. They've got a lot on their plate. And as I developed my own practice, I was like, wow, this could be really impactful for my athletes, at least to give them 30 minutes to like slow down. And so I started teaching in 2012 and I was implementing it with any teams that were interested in doing it. And we were doing it more for re like recovery mm -hmm. and just, again, slowing down. And it, it really, really went so well, it was well received. And so I continue it now and I uh, teach yoga for a local cross country team. I teach it weekly. Uh, with my junior hockey guys and they know Thursday is yoga day and they love it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to that point, yes, it's wonderful about increasing mindfulness and embodiment, connecting the mind and the body and being, you know, fully present, but it also has limited injuries. We had zero in hockey. If anyone knows anything about hockey. Um, what? <laughs> you want to say that again? Zero. <laughs> hip and groin injuries, no missed time. So if you know anything wow. about hockey or even soccer, we equate the two with hip and groin injuries, poles, muscles, hamstrings, hip flexors. And I don't want to say it's just yoga, but I can tell you it's the one thing that we do different as an organization and we had no missed time. And yeah, so obviously that's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Mom's got your kids signed up for yoga. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, absolutely. Amazing. amazing. Oh my goodness. This has been such an amazing conversation, Jen. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with, expertise with us and um, sharing all this information. So thank you so much. So how can someone get in touch with you if they are like, hey, I want to know more or if they are in the central Connecticut area, they're like, hey, mm -hmm. I want you to work with my team or with my mm -hmm. child. Um, how can they get in touch with you? That's a great question. And I'm, again, so grateful that we can have this conversation. And hopefully you can feel the energy of how excited and passionate I get um, when talking about this, um, this topic line. Um, I am very active on social media. So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Concentric Care CT. Um, that's probably the best way. Um, but you can also email and you can visit me on my website, which I'm sure you can maybe put in the show notes or I can yep. share whatever's easiest. Yes, I will definitely put in the show notes. So awesome, Gentrilla. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to be here and talk with you. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me on SM Enlightenment Radio or TV or joining me on the Moms for Wellness podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Moms for Wellness podcast and leave a five-star rating or review. It really is helpful and we would be so grateful. I'm Jenny. Have a good one.